If you please stand for the reading of God's word. Today we're going to be reading out of Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Uh, Pastor Bruce will be continuing in his series, uh, labeling this sermon, Losing All to Gain Christ. Uh, If you're using a pew Bible, you can begin the passage at page 1165, and we'll be moving on to page 1166. But follow along as I read. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, we praise you as individuals and as a congregation that you have sent us your son. Someone who has given us his righteousness to wear. That as we follow him, we replace our dirty garbs that mean holding us back and replace them with your son. Thank you for that, and pray that you would give Pastor Bruce the word to speak to and dwell in us the the necessary things we need to change in our lives and to continue to follow you. Thank you for your son once again, God. In your name, amen. Don't waste your life. Instead, make it count for God's glory. That is Paul's testimony. That is Paul's passionate message to us here this morning from Philippians chapter 3. And so let's begin with this question. What will you have to show for your life when you stand before Jesus Christ? I'll ask it again. What will you have to show for your life When you die and stand before Jesus Christ. College degree? Will it be a good job? Will it be money in the bank? Lots of friends? A successful career? Perhaps the praise and accolades of other people? A box full of awards? Promotions at work? A happy retirement? And the list goes on. If that's all you've got to show for your life then you really don't have that much going for you. Sooner than you think, you'll be lying in a box six feet underground with grass growing over your head, or you will be cremated and your ashes will be in a vase sitting on a mantle. 
all the things of this life won't matter at all. Someone else will have your money. Someone else will replace you at your job. Your fame will fade. Your glory will disappear. And everything you own will belong to someone else. You will eventually be forgotten except by those people who stumble upon your gravestone 100 years from now and say, I wonder who this person was. It's no wonder then that we live in a culture today that is deeply committed to personal comfort, personal pleasure, and personal safety in this life. After all, if this life is all there is, then make it as comfortable and as pleasurable as you can for as long as you can. Get more and better possessions. Build larger savings accounts to protect yourself. Avoid risk. Maximize reward. And live your best life now. This is success according to our culture. What's sobering, though, is this is the perspective that has penetrated so many people today, including Christians in churches. You, me, our families, perhaps even our church today. Therefore, therefore, as Christ followers, listen, we here this morning, we need to think seriously about this question. What will you have to show for your life when you stand before God Almighty? Evidently, the Apostle Paul wrestled with this same question as well and evaluated the entire direction of his life before and after he had his encounter with Jesus Christ. Paul's life was radically changed, transformed, when Jesus appeared to him in that blinding light on the road to Damascus. And in a flash, Paul's whole life was turned upside down. He discovered in that moment and consequently through the rest of his life that everything that he thought was so important to him was now meaningless. It was worthless when compared to the joy of knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And so here's what we're going to see this morning in Paul's personal testimony and in his passionate plea to us here. Notice this in your notes, coming up on the screen. The life that counts for God's glory loses all in order to gain Christ as their treasure. That is the big idea here. That's what Paul's testimony is. That's what his urgent appeal to us is today. This is Paul's steadfast conclusion after his encounter with Christ. And now he's looking back over his life when he writes here in verse 7, but whatever gain I had, whatever that gain was, and we're going to discover it here in a minute, he now says, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. This word count, as we 
we mentioned last Sunday in the beginning of the series is one of the key words, if not the key word, here in Philippians 3. It's repeated three different times in two verses here in 7 and 8. And it simply means to assess. It means to evaluate. It means to look, in this case, on your life and to evaluate and assess it. In light of, there is more to this life than what we see in touch with our hands and eyes. There is the next life. There is a life that counts for God's glory. And in light of that, I'm now going to step back and evaluate my life to see if I am making it count for God's glory. That's what Paul's doing here. Paul had a, in these words that he uses, loss and gain. They're, they're, they're words that we're familiar with. They're accounting uh, terms, which means Paul's doing some spiritual accounting as he evaluates what should be placed in the loss column and what he now, what should belong, what he places in the gain column of his life. And so Paul had a number of personal treasures, and that's what we're going to call it, because we can identify with that. They're really the, the treasures of his credentials, and we'll see what that is, that he once considered to be a very significant gain in his life, but has since regarded those treasures as now a loss. Why? Why would Paul do that? Because, believe me, in our culture today, and even in Paul's culture back then, that was very illogical. You did not do that. And the reason Paul did it is because for Paul, listen, the only treasure worth gaining is Jesus Christ. And the only life worth living is the one that counts for God's glory. So, Let's lay out Paul's spreadsheet of losses and gains. And here's what I hope and pray, is that you will see for yourself from the very words of the Apostle Paul that the life that counts for God's glory, it loses all in order to gain Christ as their treasure. Are you ready? Two simple points, but they're powerful points. Look at it, number one. Count as lost the many treasures of the wasted life. Count as lost the many treasures of the wasted life. Last Sunday, we looked at verses 1 through 3 here in chapter 3 of Philippians as the starting point for making your life count. And we learned that basically Paul gave us three admissions, exhortations, if you will. He basically said, hey, rejoice in the Lord. It starts there. Look out for the dogs and remember who you are in Christ. Paul warned the Philippian believers, like he's warning us, against a group of false teachers called the Judaizers who were promoting a Jesus plus something you do kind of spirituality. Why? In order to be right with God. It wasn't just Jesus only that they were uh, promoting. In this case, these Judaizers, these false teachers, they were promoting a a religion, a a type of spirituality that was Jesus plus, in this specific case, circumcision. A Jesus plus keeping the Mosaic law in the Old Testament. They were trusting in their flesh. They were trusting in their good works for salvation, to be made right with God. And Paul basically says... To the Philippian believers here, and even to us, he says, basically, look out for those dogs. Because what they're feeding you, what they're promoting, listen, that stuff will suck your joy out in the Lord. And in the end, you will end up wasting your life. And Paul 
in the counter of that, he says, listen, you need to remember who you are in Jesus Christ. Listen, you are a sinner that is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is why we worship the Lord first with all of our lives. This is why we boast in no other except Jesus Christ most. This is why we trust in ourselves least. And now what Paul writes next, beginning in verse 4 here, is nothing less than a showdown of religious credentials with these Judaizers. Notice what he says in verse 4. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Listen, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. The Judaizers were appealing to their impressive Jewish credentials. And so now Paul stands up and he now flashes his own credentials. You might call this some first century trash talking, because that's exactly what it is. My son Jack, most of you know he's sitting right over here. He loves every Monday night and Tuesday night, and it drives my wife and I nuts, but he loves it. We tolerate it to watch on USA Network, the WWE Raw and SmackDown. Wrestling. How many enjoy wrestling? I don't know where he got this from, because I can't stand it. It's fake. It's staged. It's whatever. And he argues with me. But his, uh, his grandfather, not the one you're thinking of now, who's here in our church, his other grandfather, who is now passed on and he's with the Lord, loved watching wrestling. So I don't know if he picked it up from him or not. But I tell you what, it, when you watch that on Monday night and Tuesday night, all of this is trash talking and smackdown. It's, just, it's more talk than it is bite, although Jack argues with me on that. But it is a showdown of smackdown and trash talking. And that, in some ways, is what Paul is doing here with these Judaizers. He is calling these pompous false teachers out, and he is saying to them, listen, if anyone here thinks he has anything that can match what I've got when it comes to self-righteousness, I challenge him to a showdown. And I guarantee you, I will smack him down with my religious credentials. Paul's point in doing this is to simply show the Philippian believers, and by way of application, to show us here this morning the emptiness of such fleshly confidence and to remind us that self-righteousness cannot save anyone. Paul offers his own spiritual autobiography. He offers it as a case study in two ways of trying to get right with God. Basically, it's human achievement versus Christ's achievement. And it's the only two ways that we seek to get right with God. We either depend on our own achievements or we submit and we humble ourselves and we depend on Christ's achievement. And that's what Paul's doing. And he also says that basically each road, each of these ways, leads to radically different destinations. And by the way, destination is important. It's not just about the journey. The destination is mightily important, as we're going to see at the end of Philippians chapter 3 here. For Paul, it was all about the destination. And Paul could testify from his own life 
that the road of self-righteousness advocated by these group of false teachers here leads to a wasted life. But Paul also found that trusting in Christ's achievement, what he did on the cross, it leads to a life that counts for God's glory. And so what Paul does is he shares his own personal story to show us God's amazing grace in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, Paul had plenty to boast about. Oh, did he have plenty to boast about in verses 5 and 6. In fact, his resume of credentials opens up with four that are related to his birth as a Jew and then three credentials that are related to his religious achievements, his own personal achievements. But don't miss what he says about all of his treasures, all of his credentials in verse 7. He says, but whatever gain I had, what's the gain? What he just talked about in verses 5 and 6. He says, I count it as what for the sake of Christ? What he counted it as loss. And so what Paul does is he gives this list of credentials that he himself, that he could stand up and boast about, things he treasured most in his life, and then he says he now counts them as one big loss. Notice these treasures. Let's go through them just for a minute here. The treasures that Paul counted as lost. The treasures of the waste of life. Number one is his family heritage. That's what he means when he says circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. Paul is telling us that he had been born into a strong Jewish family that honored the Old Testament scriptures. His parents followed the Jewish law that required circumcising baby boys on the eighth day after their birth. And this means that Paul wasn't a a Gentile who was converted to Judaism later in life. No, he was born Jewish. And more than that, his parents were full-blooded Jews. This made Paul an Israelite by birth. And so Paul is saying, listen, I'm not only a physical descendant of Abraham, but I am the direct descendant through Jacob, whom God renamed Israel. And by identifying himself as an Israelite, Paul is simply stressing the absolute purity of his Jewish heritage. That's his family heritage. And he had a lot to brag about it. Number two is his social status. Yes, they had social status back then. It's not just a millennial thing. Social status. This is what he means when he says, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, a little background here. The tribe of Benjamin was the prestigious tribe, the elite tribe of the nation of Israel. And how many tribes were there? Twelve tribes. And of the twelve sons of Jacob, who we call the tribes of Israel, Benjamin was the only one that was born in the promised land, the holy land. And so it was also the tribe of Benjamin, along with Judah, who stayed faithful to King David when all the other tribes turned their back and basically left David. They turned away in rebellion against the Davidic throne. It was also from the tribe of Benjamin that gave the nation of Israel's very first king. And do you remember who that person was? What was his name? Saul, King Saul, exactly. And what was Paul's given name before God changed it? Saul. Are the bells going off about now? It's very possible that Paul, whose first name was Saul, former name, before it was changed, was named after the first king of Israel that came from his tribe. 
And so when Paul says then too that I am a Hebrew of Hebrews, he's basically saying, he's taunting these Judaizers, listen, you can't match my status as a Hebrew. Paul's pointing out that he was not only born to Hebrew parents from the elite tribe of Benjamin, but he also spoke Hebrew. And this is significant because at that time, by then, in Paul's day, millions of Jews had long forgotten the language of their fathers. But Paul, I still speak it. In fact, I'm fluent in it. Paul was as Jewish as you could get. He spoke the language. He had the connections. He had the name. His pedigree was impeccable. But then we come to number three, and we see his own achievements, which was number three, biblical knowledge. That's what he's talking about, as to the law of Pharisee. You see, Paul wasn't just a nominal Jew like we have nominal Christians today. He was a practicing Jew of the highest regard, a Pharisee. And this is where we have to be a little careful because most of us have a negative impression of Pharisees. We tend to always think of them as hypocrites, and in many ways they were, which is why Jesus was always calling them out in the Gospels. But in Paul's day, that's not necessarily how Pharisees were viewed. They were extremely well-respected among the people of Israel. The Pharisees knew the Old Testament backwards and frontwards, and they strived to follow it. They were known for their love of the law, their strict interpretation of the law, and their diligent obedience to the law. Paul even studied under one of the leading Pharisees of the day. In other words, Paul belonged to a morally superior group of Jews in his day. He was a Pharisee. And then number four, we see his religious activity. As to zeal, he says, a persecutor of the church. You see, Paul wasn't just a Pharisee in name only. He was zealous in his religion, and he backed it up with religious activity. In fact, he was so zealous, he was so passionate, that he would go out persecuting the church. He was willing to hunt down anyone who tampered with his religion of Judaism. Especially these new Jewish Christians who had turned against Judaism and had turned to the way. The way of following Jesus Christ. And so, think of it. He is on a mission. So much so that he made this special trip to the city of Damascus to root out these Jewish Christians there and to teach them a lesson. But it was on that trip where God intervened and turned his world and his life upside down. Basically, Paul is saying here, there's nobody who had more passion in living out their religion than me. And then we see number five, his moral lifestyle. He says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. It's as if Paul is saying, do you want to see somebody who follows all the rules and keeps all the laws? And look right here. Nobody can compare with me. And when it came to obeying the law, there wasn't a fault to be found in Paul. If there was a rule, he kept it. Now, that's not to say that he was sinless, but blameless. That is, he never slacked off in his observance of the law. In other words, when it came to living out the Jewish laws, Paul never took a day off. 
He was never on vacation from this. When it came to Judaism, Paul was the man, and nobody could boast about it more than he could. If anyone had reason to boast in his own self-righteousness, it was Paul. If there was a religious pedestal nearby, listen, Paul deserved to stand on it. Nobody had a bigger trophy case in his tent than Paul did. And so here's Paul's list of the many treasures of the wasted life. His own personal treasures of his credentials, family heritage, social status, biblical knowledge, religious activity, and moral lifestyle. And as you look at that list of his treasures, here's the question. What do all these things have in common? I would suggest to you, the one thing they all have in common is that they're all good things. Family heritage, listen, that's not a bad thing. I actually appreciate my own family heritage. Social status is not necessarily a bad thing to have. Biblical knowledge, well, that's good. Religious activity, a moral lifestyle, listen, those are good things as well. All these things that Paul listed are good things. And what we need to realize here is that it wasn't, quote, bad things that were keeping Paul from Jesus. It was, quote, good things that were keeping Paul from Jesus. These things. And so it's important for us to see, don't miss the gravity of what Paul is saying here. The danger is that you can have all these things, all these treasures, a good family life. You can have a good social status. You can have a lot of likes on your Insta account. You can have great social status at school, at work, and neighborhood. You can have biblical knowledge and even teach the Word of God. On top of that, you can be active in church and zealous in religious activities. And then to top it all off, you can lead, you can live a decent, moral, upstanding life and be very well respected. And the danger is that you can have all these things and more and still not have Christ. And when you come to the end of your life, you know what you will find? It will have been wasted. Wasted. And so Paul is telling us that all these things are the treasures of the wasted life if you don't have Christ. And if you want to make your life count for God's glory, then like Paul, listen, count as loss the many treasures of the wasted life. But don't stop there. Please don't stop there. We must also, number two, look at it in your notes here, coming up on the screen, count as gain now the only treasure of the life that counts. Listen again to what Paul says. In fact, look at it in your Bibles, in your notes. Look at it. Verse 7. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for whom? For what? For the sake of Christ. In other words, all these treasures are just loss. And in case we didn't hear Paul the first time, he says it again here in verse 8. 
Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then, get this, Paul says it a third time for added emphasis at the end of verse 8. For his sake, that is for Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain who? Christ. So what is the only treasure of the life that counts? Well, according to Paul, the life that counts treasures Christ above everything this world has to offer. Three times Paul mentions Christ as his only treasure. He continues to talk about Christ all the way through verse 11. And so over and over and over again, Paul says that Christ is far greater than anything this world has to offer. It pales, he pales in comparison to his greatness and his joy. For Paul, get this, Jesus is not just his ticket to heaven. Jesus is his only treasure on earth. Paul said it this way in the beginning of Philippians in chapter 1, verse 21. For me to live is what? Christ, and to die is gain. Picture it like this. This is coming up on the screen. It's not in your notes, but picture it like this. It's like Paul took a piece of paper And he simply drew a line down the middle. And there's one column here. There's another column. So you have two columns on either side of the line. And on one side, he lists the many treasures this world has to offer. Then above that list, he writes the word loss. And then on the other side of the line, he lists one thing, Jesus Christ. And at the top of that column, he writes the word gain. You see, for Paul, he really believes This becomes his passion, as we're going to see in two Sundays from now, that the only treasure of the life that counts is Jesus Christ. And everything else for Paul is rubbish in comparison to Christ. James Boyce put it like this. Paul came to the point where he opened his ledger book. He looked at what he had accumulated by inheritance and by his efforts and reflected that these things actually kept him from Christ. He then took the entire list and placed it where it belonged, under the list of liabilities. He called it loss, and under assets, he wrote Jesus Christ alone. Now, let's just get it out on the table. Let's be honest here. That is a very different way to think and live as a Christ follower today. It is a radically different Christianity than the one that is so prevalent in our culture and churches today. And we, we here this morning, listen, we, we need to feel the weight of this. The word that Paul uses for rubbish would have shocked these Philippian believers. I can't believe he said that. It was a crass word. It was a crude word. In fact, you get more of a sense of this word in the King James Version when it is translated as dung. It actually means excrement, and even specifically the excrement of an animal. So in your mind, picture dog poop, because that's what Paul is saying. 
In other words, Paul considers everything else to be a pile of dog crap compared to having Jesus Christ. Now that cuts to the chase, doesn't it? In fact, it cuts to the heart. Oh, does it cut to the heart. Because the question we're, we are faced with, the question that he is driving home at us, is this, do I treasure Christ above everything this world has to offer? Even to the point that by comparison, everything else is simply a pile of dog crap. Now, I'll, I'll just be, be honest here. You, you can't read this, you can't study this like I have done for this whole week and not let it convict you and challenge you. You just can't. And so it reveals two things that I'll confess about in my own heart. It reveals how much I, even as your pastor, still cherish some of the treasures of this world. My heart is still captivated by the things I can buy with the esteem of people, pride in my accomplishments, all the comforts of living here in America. And if I'm honest, the temperature of my heart runs far too warm towards the treasures of this world and not nearly hot enough for the treasure of Christ. And second then, it drops me to my knees and reveals my desperate need to pray. Lord, make this true of me like you did for Paul. I want my life to count for your glory. Lord, help me. By your grace, help me to treasure Christ above everything that this world has to offer. And if you're, like, and if you're thinking here, well, I'm not sure I gain enough in Christ. That's part of our problems. In fact, that's a large part of our problems with American Christianity. We don't think we gain enough in Christ to willingly forfeit the many treasures of this world. But notice what we gain in Christ. Look at this. In Christ, we have found something worth losing everything for. You see, you know what our problem is? We want to gain Christ without actually losing anything. But it doesn't work that way in Christ's kingdom. In fact, let me just show you a few examples from God's word here. Consider Job of the Old Testament. Most of you are familiar with Job. Here's a guy who, who we, could we say, honestly, by God's word, it reveals what, the guy lost everything. He lost it all. All of his possessions, all that he owned, all of his wealth, and even his family and health was taken out from underneath him. And the only person left in his life is a nagging wife who curses him. And he was probably wondering, God, why didn't you just take her too? But through it all, listen to what Job says in 1925. He says, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. Consider Moses. We know Moses, the one who led the people out of Egypt to the promised land. Listen, Moses could have had all the treasures of Egypt. He was one of the sons of Pharaoh, an adopted son of Pharaoh. 
But instead, we are told in Hebrews 11, 24 through 26 here, that by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And catch this, notice this, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Christ because he was looking ahead to his what? His reward. Consider Epaphroditus. You're like, who's that guy? Well, he's actually right here in Philippians. Go back one chapter, Philippians chapter 2. Look what Paul says in verse 25 about it. He says, I have thought it necessary to send you to Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Now, a little background here. Where's Paul writing from? This particular book of Philippians. He's writing from prison, okay? And the Philippian church, who Paul's writing to, they now send this guy by the name of Epaphroditus to Paul. Why? To encourage Paul, to, to uh, support him, to, uh, to care for him, and even bring him resources. And now look what Paul says in verses 26 through 29 about Epaphroditus. He says, for he has been longing for you all, longing for In other words, his brothers and sisters, his church family in Philippi, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. And indeed, he was ill. How much so? Near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, such men. And then notice how Paul caps it all off about him in verse 30. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. You see, like Paul, Epaphroditus really did believe that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Consider a couple of other guys. They're not in the Bible, but they're missionaries. One is you're probably more familiar with by the name of Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot was a missionary in Ecuador who was killed at the hands of, the Am- of an Amazon tribe. And years earlier, he wrote in his journal. And I doubt he, he probably... Who knows whether he knew this was actually going to happen to him. Uh, but he wrote it as almost a prophecy of his life. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep, gain, keep to gain what he cannot lose. Consider Charles Thomas Studd. He's actually known as C.T. Studd. He was an English missionary who faithfully served in China, India, and Africa. And here's his motto. Are you ready for it? If Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Like Paul and these other examples, may we live in such a way that our lives count for God's glory, knowing that in Christ we have found something worth losing everything for. 
But it's not just that. Notice what we gain here. Number two, in Christ, we are counted righteous. And this righteousness is not your own, but is a gift from God that is received through faith. Now, Paul's coming. In fact, this is his whole point so far, his argument here of his testimony. His whole point is to warn us against placing our confidence in our own righteousness, thinking that it will save us, because it won't. And here's the problem. Do you realize only righteous people are going to heaven? Have have you thought about that? Only righteous people are going to heaven. You're like, well, why is that? Because only righteous people can stand before a holy God and dwell in his presence. And the bigger problem is none of us are righteous. Are we? None of us possesses the righteousness that God requires to stand before him and to dwell in his presence. All have sinned, Paul says, and all fall short of the glory, so that on the basis of our own self-righteousness, the basis of our own good works, listen, we do not earn God's pleasure, we earn God's wrath. And so we now need, desperately need, another source of righteousness And that's why the gospel is such great news. So how can the righteousness that God requires of us, how can we obtain that? Well, Paul tells us in verse 9, look at it. And be found in him. Be found in who? Christ Jesus. Be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ The righteousness from God that depends on me. Now, I'll give you a big theological word. Theologians call this what Paul's talking about here. They actually call this imputed righteousness. And this is the opposite of a works-based righteousness or or self-righteousness. And Paul says that works-based righteousness, that self-righteousness, listen, that, that is all rubbish. That's all a pile of dog crap. That's what that is. And that's why we need God's righteousness. In fact, Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, God made him, that is Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. And so what a glorious exchange we have here. Christ received our punishment, though he never sinned. And we received his righteousness, though we didn't deserve it. And as a result, we are found in Christ. And that means that God sees us through the righteousness of Christ. And Paul says that this righteousness is a gift from God that is received through faith in Jesus Christ. That means, folks, listen to me, we can't earn it and we don't deserve it. In his amazing grace, God gave his only son to live and to die for law-breaking people like us so that we might be saved. See, again, how do we receive this righteousness? 
that we so desperately need. In which, and here's the thing, I'm not sure we, we fully understand what we gain in this righteousness. And that's, again, part of the problem why, we, why we're not willing to count as lost the treasures of this world. You see, we think when we come to Christ, for us, the biggest thing we earn, gain is forgiveness of sin. And while that is important, while that is needed, and it is a part of it, listen, it is all about the righteousness of Christ. And that is what we gain in him. And for Paul, he basically said, listen, I get that so much so in Christ, all about him. I am willing to forfeit all of this stuff that we think we can't live without in this world. You see, do we value that? How much do we treasure this? And it's Christ. Listen, salvation doesn't depend on does not depend on your family heritage, doesn't depend on your social status, biblical knowledge, religious activity, or moral lifestyle. It depends on faith alone and Christ alone. And that's why Paul could write in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 4, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. In other words, Paul is saying there is only one credential that matters. You see, in our day and age, credentials matter. In fact, credentials, if you got credentials, that gives you access to places and to people. You got the right credentials, you can go places, you can network in the right thing, blah, 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 blah. Our world values credentials. And I'm telling you, none of those credentials matter in the long run. Those credentials will lead you to a wasted life if you don't have the one credential that matters, and that is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Do you hear what Paul's saying? So don't. Don't boast in. Don't trust in your own righteousness. Boast in and trust in what Christ has already done for you on the cross. Jesus has given you everything you need to be right with a holy God. So treasure Jesus above everything this world has to offer. In Christ, we have found something worth losing everything for. Count as loss the many treasures of the wasted life and count as gain the only treasure of the life that counts. I don't know about you, but my heart's desire And I'm not saying my heart's desire is always this way. I struggle in my heart's desire at times. And that's when I ask God, God, give me a right heart's desire. Give me a desire in my heart that I want this desire of Paul that he wants. Give me the desire that I don't want to come to the end of my life only to have the word wasted written across the top of it. I want to come to the end of my life knowing that it counted for God's glory. Lord, give me that desire like Paul's. Sometimes that's just where we need to start in our prayers. Because we're so consumed by the treasures of this world. I want to say with Paul, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And if that's your heart's desire, would you pray this prayer? It's in your notes. And we're coming to our response time. The instrumentalists are going to come. In fact, I invite them to come now. Just start coming. And as they prepare for a song, they're going to play through. 
And we're going to bow our heads and we're going to give opportunity for you to respond where you're seated in prayer. And I challenge you, Paul challenges you to pray this prayer in your notes. It's a dangerous prayer because God just might answer it on your behalf. But be blown away and you will not regret it. Will you pray, God, even if it costs me everything, don't let me waste my life. With your grace, help me to make my life count for your glory. With your heads bowed. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the greatness of Jesus Christ. And we honor him as the one who paid it all. Who paid the price for our sins so that we might know you. Help us to count as loss the treasures of this world and to count as gain the treasure of Jesus Christ so that our lives will count for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you go to the Lord in prayer? Pray to him.